Good evening. This is Bezik on Stocks. I'm your host, Ian Bezik. But anyway, I think the last time we talked, the market was still down and I was uh, looking for a bounce. Now we've had a big, uh, big recovery in the markets. So that will be the main topic tonight. What's caused kind of the change in the market direction and kind of what's the outlook going forward. Uh, uh, but first up, uh, let's see. Uh, first up, let me just address, since a lot of people have been uh, messaging me, uh, kind of the same questions on Colombian stocks. Obviously, they're up a lot today. So I'll just go through a quick run through of where things stand. Um, yeah, if you if you read my newsletter, obviously, I talked about it this weekend, but we've had the election results come in since then. So a quick update on the situation, then we'll get to the main topic. Uh, yeah, so the two main Colombian banks, Ban Colombia, ticker CIB, was up 11% today. Aval was up 15%, I believe. The Colombian ETF was up 10%. Echo Patrol, the state oil company, was up 10%. So all across the board, big gains, 52-week high for Ban Colombia, 52-week uh, high if you adjust for the dividend for Aval. Uh, obviously, that's uh, quite different from most of the market, where uh, the market is the kind of developed world markets like the US and Europe are off of the lows, but they're nowhere near their highs. So uh, Colombia is definitely standing out. Uh, as I've been arguing for a while, the Latin American countries that uh, produce a lot of commodities uh, will do very well in the current environment that we're having. Uh, Colombia in particular has gotten half of its exports uh, from oil, and that was when oil prices were lower. So more than half of its exports from oil now. And so having a hundred and almost twenty dollar oil now is just phenomenal for the government. The government will be able to spend a lot more on on healthcare, on education, on social stimulus programs, all that sort of stuff. And so you're just going to see a tremendous uh, speeding up of the economy here, similar in Brazil and Chile and Peru. Uh, all these countries that export uh, crops, uh, in particular with the war uh, that we've seen in in Ukraine, there's a shortage of a lot of uh, a lot of agricultural products, so that's good for a country like Colombia that that exports cattle, uh, that exports coffee, uh, various uh, products like that. Other countries in the region, like Brazil, has tons of grain production, same for Argentina. So I've been very bullish on Latin America, remains so. I think it's a great trade, uh, in particular a country like Chile that has a ton of copper, a ton of lithium. Uh, you get a twofer there, and the, uh, the prices of those have gone up a lot anyway just due to inflation. But then if we're going to have the green revolution in terms of energy, like people are hoping, you'll need way more of those resources. And given how hard it is to permit any sort of new mines, any sort of environmentally damaging stuff in the in the first world, in countries like the U.S. anymore, uh, most of that new supply will have to come from countries like Chile. So. Fundamentally, I'm very bullish on Latin America. I think this is the best setup we've had as a region since 2002, 2003. Um, and so, yeah, Colombia, a big pop today. That's because we had the first round of our presidential election on Sunday. Uh, the way Colombian elections work, if no one gets over 50% in the first round, then it goes to a runoff between candidates. Uh, the left-wing candidate, who is kind of running on a Chavez-style platform, he wants to expropriate property, stop the production of oil and coal in Colombia, uh, raise taxes, uh, recognize the current Venezuelan government as legitimate. Uh, a very bad policy, a set of policy proposals if you're an investor. Uh, people had been afraid that he might get 50% of the vote in the first round. Uh, not only did he not get 50%, he only got 40%. His two main opponents, respectively, got 28 and 24, and the candidate who got 24 
uh, immediately told his voters to support the candidate who got 28, meaning that kind of the, the center and the right now have essentially 52% to the left-wing guys, 40% going into the runoff. And so uh, it seems very likely that the that the centrist candidate, the one who got 28%, will win uh, in the runoff, which will be in June. Uh, the betting market had been uh, 70% on Petro, the left-winger, to to win prior to Sunday, but now the market has swung to 75% in favor of the centrist candidate, who would be investor-friendly. Uh, he hasn't really specified that much of his economic policy, but he comes from a wealthy, very market-friendly part of the country, so... And he was a real estate developer uh, before he went into politics. So presumably, uh, assuming the guy who's now projected to win ends up winning, uh, it will be uh, very friendly for for foreign investors, for capital. The Colombian peso was up dramatically today. And like I said, all the, the listed stocks were up as well. I, I expect prices to go much higher, assuming he wins and oil stays up. Uh, between 2003 and 2006, the Colombian market went up, uh, I believe, I don't have the date in front of me, but I believe it went up 700%. At least our leading bank, uh, ticker CIB, uh, went from $2 a share in 2002 to $40 a share in 2007. So 20 bagger in four years. Uh, I think people have forgotten how much emerging markets can go up when they go up because we haven't seen really a commodity cycle or any sort of uh, demand for raw resources in a long time. But when people want exposure to these countries, uh, there's a lot of capital that comes in, and our listed market is very small. Our largest bank is only worth like $10 billion. And so if a lot of foreign capital comes in and wants to buy the bank at the same time, the price can double or triple very quickly. I believe we're trading at, uh, I don't have the number for Bank Columbia off the top of my head, but I believe it evolves at seven times this year's earnings, and earnings are still kind of depressed, so probably closer to five times it's uh, normal run rate earnings. And I, I see that as just frankly ridiculous given uh, how much the economy will boom here with oil where it is, with coal where it is, or with coffee where it is. Uh, I think the vol could easily double from here over the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, for the company IPO'd in the US, it's been listed in Colombia forever, but it IPO'd in the US in 2014, I believe, at $14 a share. And even after today's uh, big run-up, it's still at five dollars now, and it's earning more. It's more profitable now than when it IPO'd. So uh, I see the valuation down here is pretty ridiculous. Uh, and the political uh, situation was the last real obstacle to having the bull thesis play out. And assuming that the the centrist candidate wins in the runoff, which the uh, which it seems is a high likelihood that uh, we've got a very good setup for Colombia going forward. So reader. Very bullish, uh, would not be taking any profits after the move today. I see much more upside on the banks in particular. Uh, so yeah, that's the quick run. Of, uh, run. Oh, yeah, and I should just mention, uh, for people that own a vol in particular, it paid a $1.47 per share dividend, so about a third of its stock price uh, this past week. Um, that was because uh, they spun off their Central American bank and they they did not give shares of the new bank to U.S. holders. Instead, they gave us cash. So that's why you got the huge dividend. Uh, but obviously, that's a one-time thing because they, they was just spinning off a business that no longer fit with their agenda. But they also reinstated the, the regular dividend, um, I believe, today. Anyway, they, they announced that the dividend's coming back. So 
just to clear up the confusion, I've got a lot of DMs about that. Uh, but yeah, so the one, 147-issue dividend was one time, but they've also reinstated the regular dividend. And historically, they pay uh, 50% of net income as dividends. And so, I mean, the stock's at seven times earnings now. That's a 14% earnings yield. So presumably, the dividend yields will be in the 6 or 7% range on the current stock price. Uh, if they just go back to their usual dividend policy. So that's the quick take on Aval. Uh, happy to take any questions on Columbia if anyone has any, or I'll go to the main topic. Just I'll wait for a second in case anyone wants to chime in now. Who's this? Ash. Ash? Do you? You're up. Ash, are you there? If anyone else wants to hop in now, uh, go for it, or else I'll go on to the main topic. Mm-hmm. All right, on to the main topic. So the last time that we talked, the market was still going down. Um, uh, the, it was quite the, quite the drop we had earlier in May. Uh, now, obviously, the market has turned. Um, and so I think the question on everyone's mind is, is this the real thing in terms of a rally or is this just a little, a little comeback and then it will resume going down? Um, and I'll argue my, my view is that this is a bounce that will last maybe through the summer or kind of a big bounce, like for a month or two, maybe three. Um, I don't think that was the low for the bear market as a whole, uh, but this will be kind of a sustained rally to give uh, relief to people because we've been down a lot and without much in the way of any real uh, upside since basically in 2022, there haven't been many good relief rallies. And so I think uh, we're kind of at a turning point for the time being. Um, And so, yeah, at the, basically the day that we bottomed, you had Bill Ackman come out uh, with his uh, whole bunch of tweets. I'm not sure if you saw them, but, uh, Ackman said, quote, inflation is out of control. Inflation expectations are getting out of control. Markets are imploding because uh, investors aren't confident in the Federal Reserve to stop inflation. He goes on this big rant about how uh, there's a wage price spiral, that things are out of control, that the Fed isn't acting quickly enough. And he demanded two to 300 uh, basis points of Fed rate hikes. Um, yeah, and so he said that uh, for the market to bottom, that the Fed would need to... Uh, Put a line in the sand on inflation and do whatever it takes. Say, um, and so, yeah. So you had Ackman go on this big rant, and kind of Ackman has historically has not been good at timing these uh, kind of emotional outbursts. You may remember that uh, during the COVID um, crash in March of 2020, he went on TV and said that he bought all this uh, like crash insurance and. It was kind of doom and gloom, and the next day the market bottomed uh, for March 2020. Uh, it's kind of the always fade Ackman whenever Ackman goes on TV and says one thing, uh, do the other thing. Uh, so he was out, uh, the, I think, kind of the next day you had George Soros to say that a global depression was coming, uh, which is uh, pretty strong language from a, a famed trader. Uh, but when you see uh, these sorts of big negative uh, headlines, often the right move is to do the other thing. And sure enough, markets have bounced significantly. Uh, I think the thing causing the bounce is the interest rates have stopped going up. Uh, that's kind of been the theme I've been hammering all year. 
is that we need bonds to to stabilize because as long as interest rates keep going up, people just keep selling off their tech stocks. People keep selling off anything with duration risk uh, because they say, I don't know how high mortgage rates going to go, how higher interest rates going to go. It's just been kind of this, uh, people are just scared because they don't know. It just seems like it's been out of control. But now for a month, we've had bond yields come back down. Mortgage rates have stabilized. Um, other indicators that go along with that, like the U.S. dollar had been rallying every month of the year, but the, the dollar has uh, fallen significantly in May. Uh, so we're starting to see some signs of of the bigger macroeconomic factors uh, starting to stabilize after the big moves we saw. Uh, credit spreads, kind of how much uh, riskier companies are having to pay to borrow money, have come in a lot. Uh, kind of eased, which indicates that there's more liquidity in the bond market than there was a week or two ago. Um, so these are the sorts of things that can sustain a bigger rally, because it's these have been the macroeconomic factors that had caused uh, institutional money to move out of the door. Because they saw they saw like the dollars going up, which is generally bad for stocks. They saw bond yields were out of control. Inflation kept accelerating and accelerating and accelerating on every uh, CPI print. That seems to be uh, kind of finishing a lot of the things that had led to the fastest CPI increases, like used car prices, have rolled over now. And so inflation inflation's too high and will remain too high for quite a while. However, it will be starting to trend downward from here. Uh, and in investing, oftentimes you make money from catching when the trend changes. It's not like the absolute rate of inflation, it, be it 7%, 8%, 6%, is much too high. It needs to come down. Uh, but as long as it's going up, like it's seven, one month, seven and a half, the next month, eight, the next month, this leads to just panic. People just like, I don't see where this is going to end. And people just extrapolate. They see the line going up and they're like, this is unstoppable. But the moment you start seeing it tick down like eight, five, eight, two, seven, nine, seven, six, people say, oh, we're, we're starting to get this under control. And it also gives the Fed room to say, oh, maybe we'll only do a 25 basis point hike instead of 50 or 75. Uh, Kind of the alarmist rhetoric that we saw from people like Bill Ackman uh, will lose a lot of its credibility as inflation starts to tap out. And so I think uh, I think we're seeing a transition now where uh, obviously we're still worried about inflation, uh, but we're also starting to worry about a recession, which is kind of the flip side of the coin that the Fed and uh, other central banks have have taken enough action to significantly slow down the economy. And the, the kind of the clear sign of that was in the spending numbers we saw from the retailers, like Target, Walmart had their biggest one-day crashes since 1987. Uh, Costco dropped significantly. Uh, yeah, you just saw this decimation in the retail space. And if you look through the numbers, it was just the they they had huge builds in inventory. Like Walmart ordered 30% more goods than uh, than they needed because they they ordered all of these slow-moving products. Uh, I think things like refrigerators and appliances and home furnishings and stuff like that that had been selling like hotcakes in 2021 and suddenly the demand just dried up in March. Um, several CEOs said basically after the, the invasion of Ukraine and the surge in gas prices that consumer uh, demand really just kind of switched off just kind of like overnight. Uh, people start paying $5 for gas. People see... Uh, like food prices have accelerated to the upside since the Ukraine situation kicked off. And so somebody somebody that's only earning, I don't know, call it $40,000 a year, that they're now spending twice as much 
portion of their income on gas and on food as they used to. It's like their their discretionary purchases. They're not going to buy a new TV. They're not going to buy a new laptop. They're not going to buy new skis, uh, stuff like that. And so you've seen this huge drop in demand for discretionary goods. Uh, things like the sporting goods retailers have just gotten hammered. Uh, and like Target said that their inventory of slow moving goods just didn't move at all. Just way too much inventory. And so how do companies clear out inventory? They have to lower prices. So as you see, companies like Target and Walmart and all, uh, lower their prices to get rid of stuff. Uh, well, it's still, still useful. It's like if you sit on inventory too long, then it becomes obsolete or uh, out of fashion. And so you'll see retailers cutting prices. Cutting prices is the first uh, way you get to disinflation, or at least to slow down in the inflationary way. Uh, yeah, so I think you're seeing a big a big kind of break on the inflation train from the retailers. Uh, the savings rate, uh, it's been interesting. Uh, since 2020, the U.S. savings rate had its highest level since the 1960s. People are kind of stuck at home. Uh, they were getting extra compensation from the government for unemployment and various other uh, stimulus measures. But now the savings rate has plunged back to kind of the levels we saw in the early 2000s. In other words, very low, negative. Uh, and so consumers still have a lot of excess savings from the last two years, but they're now drawing down their reserves rather than continuing to build their reserves. And so particularly as people continue to get hit with high gas prices, high food prices, and so on. Uh, people are going to work through their savings, and as they do so, um, you'll see a big drop in spending. That will probably really come come home to roost uh, around Christmas. I think you'll see a, a very weak holiday season. Uh, mortgages, the increase in mortgage rates has really hit people as well. The median mortgage uh, payment in the U.S. has gone up 50% between uh, the summer of 2020 and today. And so that just does a tremendous number on people's ability to buy discretionary goods. Uh, if people are paying 50% more for their mortgage, that's a lot fewer vacations and uh, uh, new cars and stuff that they can buy because it's all going to the bank. Uh, you've seen the, the market for like mortgage companies like uh, UWM and Rocket, the home builders, like home builders are trading at three, four times earnings because people just believe that their earnings are going to totally collapse. The title of the interiors are in the tank. The Even the, the banks that do a lot of mortgages are really weak. So the market is telling you that the housing market is going to decelerate dramatically. I think they're, they're a little too negative, but um, the fact that the market's worried so much about housing is not an inflationary sign. It's a disinflationary sign. It's a sign that people are worried about a recession. Um, more broadly, there's the idea of the Fed put the people have always talked about kind of since the 1990s uh, when Chairman when Chairman Greenspan uh, was heading up the Fed. Uh, previously, the Fed had been kind of more hands-off in terms of managing market volatility, but I believe it was 1997, you had a crisis. I forget if it was Thailand or Russia. But anyway, one of the emerging markets blew up and the, the S&P was down 15% in a matter of days. And Greenspan came out and immediately cut rates uh, in an emergency move, not at a scheduled meeting. This became kind of the origin of the Fed put, uh, a put being kind of insurance against a market drop. The idea being that the Fed would come and rescue the market when it dropped like 15%. And Greenspan did it again in 1998 when Russia defaulted. 
and then there would be rate cuts throughout the 2000, 2001, 2002 bust as Greenspan tried to support the market there as well. And so there was this idea that the Fed would now uh, provide support to investors whenever the market dropped. We saw that in uh, what 2011, 2012, the Fed backed off of planned rate hikes uh, due to the European, the Greece, the pigs, all that crisis from a decade ago, 2018, when the S&P dropped 20%, the Fed pivoted from saying it was a long way from from its uh, from its uh, interest rate target to stopping the interest rate hikes. And that happened basically in the span of three weeks because Powell looked and saw the market was down 20% and said, that's enough. Uh, I don't want the market to drop anymore. And so for the past 20 years, investors have had, 25 years now, investors have had this idea that the Fed is always there to kind of give you uh, insurance if the market drops too far. And what I'd argue now is that we're in the opposite, um, we're in the opposite market environment where we now actually have a Fed call. That is to say that kind of the market, the Fed doesn't want the market to go up. Um, And whenever the market does go up, the Fed is going to come out and throw cold water on the market. We saw that yesterday uh, when the market was on holiday, but one of the Fed members came out and said that uh, he was looking for even more aggressive rate hikes than he had been previously because they hadn't done enough to bring in inflation. It's like the moment that the market bounced off the lows, the Fed came in and said, no, no, we don't want the market to go up too much too too quickly uh, because as Powell has said, one of the key ways they have to manage uh, inflation is through bringing down asset prices because uh, the investing class, such as ourselves, when our stocks are up, we we feel like we have more more wealth, more income, and so we go out and we buy houses, we buy cars, we buy bigger vacations, whatever. And so the quickest way the Fed can kind of affect inflation at the margins is to bring down asset prices like you you bring tech stocks down 30%, you bring Bitcoin down 50%, uh, you blow up the IPO market, so all these tech employees, the, all these 28-year-olds that had $500,000 of stock options now have $100,000 of stock options. This is kind of the quickest way the Fed can can rein in excess consumption, and we've seen Powell uh, say that directly, in fact, that, that the Fed sees asset prices as a key uh, part of their ability to to control the inflation and unemployment situation. And so I think we're now in a situation where there's kind of a Fed call, like where wherever the market starts to go up, the Fed's going to come in and, and try to slow down the, the market. I think that's why we're in a bear market until the Fed, until the Fed changes course and says uh, inflation's uh, come down enough and now we're worried about either recession or unemployment. Uh, the Fed needs to switch off of inflation being its primary kind of its, three mandates towards unemployment, towards inflation, and towards avoiding recession. Uh, but as long as the Fed is situated on uh, putting the brakes on inflation, uh, it's kind of counterintuitive, but like anytime the market goes up, that's going to cause inflationary pressure to pick up because people will feel wealthier and spend more, which will kind of accelerate the, the inflationary pressures. And so I think, I think you're going to see every bounce uh, get faded over time because the Fed's going to come in and just say, uh, we're not done on inflation yet. And so kind of when you get the the biggest, longest, most sustained rally is going to be when the Fed uh, says that it's starting to worry about economic growth. Uh, but so far we haven't seen uh, the Fed, like even we had the negative GDP print last quarter, but the Fed said that that was uh, transitory. 
I hate to use that word, but uh, <laughs> it was transitory and that uh, they still think the economy is strong. And so as long as the Fed thinks the economy is strong and inflation is too high, they're going to be out uh, putting pressure on, on, on stocks, on financial assets, on crypto, on everything. And so, yeah, that's why uh, I, I still see us rallying for a while. Like I said, maybe through call it July or August, just because the market's been down so hard for so long, the sentiment got so awful a few weeks ago. So I think we we get a nice nice big rally. But like if you look back at 2000 to 2003 in the tech market uh, bust, uh, the Nasdaq had, if my memory serves me right, the Nasdaq had eight rallies of at least 20 percent between 2000 and 2003, and yet the bear market continued after each one of those rallies. And so you're going to you're going to see a nice big rally, one of these, hopefully this one, but one of these rallies is going to be big enough and long enough to get people thinking that the coast is clear, everything's good again, and then and then you'll uh, see a drop would be my, would be my guess. Uh, so what am I looking to own? Uh, I still like defensive stocks. A lot of them aren't as cheap as they were. Stuff like the consumer staples aren't really attractively priced, but I'd say if you own staples, hold on to them. Uh, in general, they're not great entry points here, although there's some names uh, that I like. Uh, I think banks are cheap enough to work here. I know that might uh, seem counter to my message that the economy is slowing down. I mean, the banks are exceptionally well capitalized now. Um, yeah, I think the banks have much less recession risk than people might fear. It's not 2008 anymore. Uh, they take far less risks than they used to. And particularly, I like the regional banks. They're exceptionally cheap. There's a ton of them that are trading seven, eight, nine times earnings. They're great franchises. If you leave the stocks down here, they'll just buy back stock or pay you large dividends, which you can then use to buy more stock yourself. Um, so I, I think regional banks in particular are very interesting here. You can get a lot of them with solid 3 4 even 5% dividend yields, uh, which is nice in this environment. Healthcare, I think healthcare is interesting. Some, there's been some pretty big selling there from hedge funds and others that uh, kind of forced liquidations. I think there's a lot of interesting names there. Continue to like emerging markets, like I said. I think uh, we're going to see uh, generational outperformance for things like Latin America and some other markets uh, that I know less well, uh, but I don't know markets like South Africa would uh, inherently make a lot of sense, uh, but I'm not an expert on on the, the emerging markets outside of Latin America. But I think there's a lot of opportunities in those. Um, some commodities, I think, although commodities will probably slow down as we kind of transition from being solely focused on inflation to kind of a more mixed picture where there's inflation, but also recession risk, kind of the stagflation uh, effect of the, the... Like in the 1970s, commodities did very well because you had inflation plus a bad economy. Uh, but there'd be times where the commodities would have quick, sharp sell-offs uh, when people worried more about recession risk. And so be prepared. Uh, we've gotten a lot of new people in the commodity space over the past six months. Uh, there will be some some big sell-offs to shake people out that don't have as much conviction in the space. But uh, longer term, I think stuff levered to commodities will do all right. Uh, oil's probably my, my favorite, just in that the, the supply and demand picture is is so hard to fix, particularly with all the government regulations and environmental movements to stop not only new oil drilling, but also the, the no new pipelines, no new refineries. Uh, we just have a structural deficit of oil, something that obviously uh, the 
Russian situation hasn't helped. And so I just don't see how you fix the oil shortage uh, within, call it two or three years. Uh, I don't know if the price of oil itself will go up much more. I mean, it's already at 120, uh, but stuff like uh, the oil sands, like Canadian Natural, like Suncor, or the big integrateds like Exxon and Chevron, uh, in my view, they're pricing oil closer to 70 or 80. Like people just don't believe the high prices are here. And so you can own the stuff at seven or eight times earnings. Yeah, I know earnings can go down, but I don't think people are, are fully appreciating how strong the market is for oil, and also for natural gas, which they produce a lot of as well. What natural gas is like nine dollars now, and it was at two last year. So people people might be underestimating how much uh, additional torque there is to earnings on those names. Uh, so yeah, that's my overview of where I see the market now. Some opportunities, some things to watch out for, and now I'll open the line up. Uh, any questions, comments? Don't be shy. Anyone want to ask a question? Mm -hmm. All right, Gary, you're up. Hi, Ian. Uh, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for listening. Always, uh, always nice to have you on the call. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm curious on your view of this is an entry position for Technoglass? Uh, that's a good question. Um, what did it do today? I didn't look. Um, doo -doo -doo. It was... Huh, it was actually down. Uh, yeah, I don't think most people... I mean, obviously, it's a, for people that don't know, Technoglass is a Colombian company that manufactures uh, windows... Uh, and architectural products for uh, primarily for skyscrapers. Like if you look at uh, buildings like big skyscrapers, uh, airports, museums, stuff like that, uh, where you're using higher end uh, glass, uh, Techno Glass is a big provider in that market, particularly for Florida, because they sell through a, a network of distributors in the U.S. That's primarily Latinos. It's, they kind of sell to to uh, to people that that actually build uh like the construction agencies there and so they've done very well in florida uh, they have patented windows in particular for being hurricane proof which has been a kind of a big mark uh, to differentiate them from the competition uh, they also have uh, bendable windows which i don't really understand the technology there but they look cool uh so anyway yeah, big uh big glass producer uh it's a pretty big business i think what 500 million annually of revenues so and that's grown from 130 million over the past 10 years so big and successful um the company uh is able to undersell u.s competition on prices uh in large part because they built their factory right on the caribbean uh, uh right next to the like two miles from the main port and Colombia is a net importer of goods from the u.s and so oftentimes ships go back to the u.s empty and so uh, Technoglass has been able to get very cheap rates for shipping stuff to the U.S. because those boats were going anyway. And so they've just kind of built this uh, cool niche business selling to, to the southern U.S. these uh, products with the cheaper manufacturing uh, that's available here. Um, 
Yeah, but I don't think people really view it as a Colombian company as it trades. It seems to have traded more in line with other uh, building materials companies. People seem to view it as uh, as a sector play rather than being a, we buy it because it's in Colombia. Um, uh, is this a good entry point? Uh, yeah, twenty one dollars trading at estimated nine times this year's earnings. Uh, there may be over earning now. Uh, Depends on how strong you view the Florida housing and apartment markets going forward, but I don't know. Maybe it slows down. Uh, it seems reasonable enough. Um, yeah, the new government should be favorable to them. I don't. I'm not aware of anything with the with the leading candidate that would be particularly good or bad for the company in particular. Uh, one of the other candidates was from their city, so if if he had won, that would have been very good for them, but he didn't win, so uh, yeah, uh, I'm fine with owning Technoglass here. Um, it may just trade sideways for a while just because people are so worried about the housing market and if all of these uh, housing stocks, anything related to the housing industry has just been depressed uh, over the past six months, but yeah, I think it's reasonable here. Could do well. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, you know, I I thought it was kind of in a cross current of potential recessionary fears, but also pro Latin American and pro Colombia uh, uh, time. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Thanks for mentioning it. Uh, it's weird. It was down three percent today with all the other Colombian stocks up so much. Oh, yeah, one other thing I should note on that, that uh, when they went public in the U.S., which was 2015, I believe, they got a third of their business from Colombia and two-thirds from the U.S. primarily. And in recent years, their business has been less than 10% in Colombia because the economy here has been so stagnant, and uh, particularly for the skyscrapers and large uh, buildings, and also the government has been in austerity. And so the government hasn't been giving contracts for big infrastructure stuff. Like they did the glass for the Bogota airport, for example. And so if the government starts spending money on big infrastructure projects, again, Technoglass would get contracts, whereas they haven't really gotten any revenue from Colombia for many years. So that could be that could be a boost. But we'll see what the new government does in terms of if they uh, the, the new president will have more money to spend thanks to the rise in oil prices. So we'll see uh, kind of what he wants to do with it. But. We could see demand for construction turn up uh, here as well. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Ash, you are up. Ash, there should be a button at the bottom of your screen to uh, turn on the microphone. You read my mind. I was not able to get it unmuted. Um, thanks for doing this, Ian. I've been following you for a while. Um, well, it's just a quick question on Colombia. I mean, is it worthwhile to just get the Colombian ETF and uh, that way invest in a basket of stocks? Or are you looking at, or do you have any preferred, uh, you know, like you talk about uh, Colombian banks or anything like that? Or should we just get like an ETF is a better option. Yeah, that's a good question. The 
the main ETF for Colombia is the Global X MSCI Colombia ETF, ticker GXG. Um, and I think it's fine. Yeah, it's. I'm looking at the top holdings here. The main thing with the ETF is that it, 25% of the ETF is invested in Bank Colombia, which is ticker CIB. Uh, and so, in a sense, uh, if you don't want to pay the ETF fee, you can just buy Bank Colombia and get very similar results. If you chart them over the long term, they're, they're extremely well correlated. Uh, but yeah, aside from Bank Colombia, the top holdings are Echo Patrol, which is also listed in the US. That's the state oil company. Uh, power utility, a food company, uh, and then more banks. So, yeah, I, I think the ETF's fine. Uh, it's pretty liquid, so it's good for uh, trading for people that, that need to get in and out. Um, but, yeah, just know that it owns 20, uh, 25% of the fund is in Bank Columbia anyway. So uh, if yeah. you want to save on fees, <laughs> maybe just buy Bank Columbia. Up to you, either way. Makes sense. Thanks. Mm-hmm. All right, anyone else? Last call for questions, if any questions, comments. All right, well... I guess uh, we'll call it an evening. Uh, let me know if you have any ideas for future shows, what you'd like me to cover. Uh, I should be able to to get back to the weekly schedule, so always happy to hear what topics you guys would find interesting. And with that, we'll call it an evening. So thanks for listening. Always appreciate your listenership and your, the, your comments. All right, have a good evening. Bye-bye.